Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. Here we go. Here we are, episode 100. Holy smokes, this is a thing. How can this be a thing? Anyway, I thought long and hard about whether or not to make a big deal out of two years or episode 100, but I don't know. For some reason, 100 just sit well with me. It is an absolute joy to be able to do this. I can't thank everyone enough. I often get emails and messages and phone calls and tweets and other things that I don't know how to check probably, and so I probably haven't answered those. But I usually don't tell people what I think, and I don't really express my opinion often unless you're in a very close-knit circle. And part of that is what makes this episode entirely terrifying for me because I'm usually afraid to be entirely transparent. But let's do this. Let's go in no particular order. Let's answer some questions from some of you. So Katie asked, how has my faith journey and speaking about it publicly affected my relationship with my wife, with my friends, with my church? Because she finds that some people don't take it too well. And yeah, fully agree with that. And so I don't know what order that I'll answer these in, but I'll probably go with the easiest first. Many people have heard me brag about the church that I currently attend and that I have attended for some time as as being a place that allows people to disagree, that holds tension, I think, well. And so it has affected probably some relationships with some of the people that I know at church. It has made me sometimes, what's the word I'm looking for? It has made me, I think often people tend to associate themes or topics and my willingness to host a conversation about them as a tacit agreement with that topic or theme. Uh, But sometimes I find as well that those same people aren't really interested in hearing what I have to think about the topic, nor have they done much thought about it themselves. They just know that they don't necessarily agree with it. And so it has stressed some of those tertiary relationships But if I'm being honest, um, tertiary relationships for me are just a small, small part of community. They're important and they have room for growth and that growth is important, but they are not the, the massive ball of network that helps hold me when things break, which leads me to friends. People have heard me reference often a small group of friends and, and we message all the time and that small group of friends really is a place that I feel like I can usually be myself. And so it hasn't really affected those friends much. What I really like, though, is some of the newer friends that I have made from the show. And, you know, his past guest, Alexander Shia, really enjoy, have gotten to know him, a few other people um, as well. And I won't necessarily put their names on blast here because I don't know if they, I don't know if they would want that. <laughs> so because I didn't ask them ahead of time. And so I won't do that. And then as far as my wife, so I actually didn't want to answer for her. So I asked her verbatim the question, and this was her answer. We don't always agree, and that's okay. And uh, the things that we don't want to talk about, we don't talk about until we're ready to talk about it. Um, But I will say this, you know, my wife and my family have been entirely supportive. Although sometimes my wife will say, you know, you're pushing the envelope a bit too much. This is a little too controversial. Uh, stop being so controversial. And uh, and I take those warnings to heart, I think. I don't know that I always listen, but I, I honestly feel like I'm getting better. 
And so I don't know if that adequately answers that question, but it's the best that I've got. It's a huge question. Another question that came in is, how has interviewing so many people helped my listening skills? And I will say tremendously. I used to cut people off all the time. I used to start to think that I knew where people were going to go with the sentence that they began all the time. And as I look back at some of those earlier episodes, I realized just how often I still did that. And I probably still do it, but I do think I'm getting better at it. One of the things that I really like to do is try to make a space where people can finish a complete thought without being cut off, without trying to get edited for a gotcha moment. Because every person that I've ever talked to, regardless of whether or not they're some massive author or a random person here where I live, people are brilliant and they have beautiful thoughts about so many things. And if you don't judge them, they'll tell you what they think. And usually I learn something. And so, yeah, I think um, my listening skills have gotten a little bit better, although I think my kids would disagree. Another question was, what have I learned about myself in doing the show? That is an easy answer. I don't know hardly anything. I have so much to learn, and I don't know that that will ever not be the case. I think you could ask me that in 50 years if I'm still alive and... I still would feel like I'd barely scratch the surface, but I find that actually beautiful. I think I used to find that infuriating, and I'm now beginning to find that beautiful. Like, if we're talking about God, the fact that in my small lifetime I can barely scratch the surface or something like that, I feel like that's the way that it's supposed to be. I feel like that's the most honest way to do it. And so that's the biggest thing I've learned about myself is, well, however smart I or anyone else thinks they are, they're not. Um, They're really smart on that one thing, but that is such a small thing. There was another question of, can you remember an instance where something pricked your spirit and was I surprised by it? Uh, I can. Uh, And it actually was from a listener of the show who also is a friend. And there was a conversation with Brandon Robertson where I had said something and I'd have to go back and listen to it. And and maybe some of you will remember it. And, And maybe it didn't stick out. I know it didn't stick out to me until it was further pressed upon me to kind of dig into it. And so we started talking about premarital sex and this, that, and the other. And I had made a reference that my daughter was directly above me and I have another daughter on the other side of the house and I was entirely uncomfortable with it. And then the listener had said, well, I'm curious why you don't feel the same way about your son. And I I end up writing about that, um, you know, in the honest discussions group a bit because that's one of my favorite places on the internet. And I still don't really have a good answer for that. I have tried as best I can, you know, in a phone call to answer that question with that person and I haven't been able to. It is a very good question and it's one where I still feel like I have trouble checking that bias of patriarchy. It's something I'm working at, but it is a valid question and one that I don't have a good answer for and one that I'm aware that I don't have a good answer for, but it still pricks. It still does that. And I don't know that I was surprised at it when I said it, but I am, upon further reflection, surprised that I don't have an answer. Another question was, how has podcasting changed my worldview? And I don't know that podcasting has. I feel like my worldview was changing, and that's kind of the reason that I started the podcast. And there were a lot of things behind that story of of worldview changing. And I mean, some of that is in the very first episode of the show, although not very detailed. Yeah, I don't think the podcast has changed my worldview. 
But I do think that, you know, my worldview is constantly evolving as there are more influence cultures and voices pouring into what I'm reading. You know, as I as I dig through things, I'm realizing again, relating back to what I said a minute ago, that I just don't know a lot. I mean, I learn something new almost every day. And every time I do that, lens shifts a little bit. A common question I get, and one that was sent to me uh, quite a few times, how do I kind of keep my sanity and my faith through criticism and condemnations that are going to come from this kind of work? And so that is actually a fairly easy answer. And so at the beginning of the show, I really took it personal. And I tried to fight back against people when they'd say that I was doing something wrong or I was a heretic or this, that, or the other. And now, to be quite frank, it doesn't really bother me as much. I, I tend to read the comment and then I go on about my day. I tend to read the email and I have a stock email for those that send in that email uh, to criticize. And some of them have been quite long. But I understand that for that person, most likely, I can't think that people are just mean. I don't feel like you would go to the effort to do that. And so I usually just respond, hey, I'm sure you're coming from a a place of concern. I really appreciate you listening. And I appreciate you taking the time to track down the email and writing this. Thank you so much. And that's really all that I say. And it doesn't matter if that's Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else, because it's not worth arguing about. And unless they're going to engage in a conversation with me with intentionality where I can learn from them and they can maybe learn from me. It's just not a conversation that is going to be fruitful. And I just, I honestly don't have time to have conversations like that. I don't know what good they will serve. And you can just go to Facebook and find any comment thread on anything political and you'll see what I mean. Just people bickering and um, so the easiest thing is I just I just usually don't respond. And if I do, it is that blanket response. I actually have it programmed and saved in my phone so I can just copy and paste it. So some questions from Canada. Here we go. Did I interview anyone that really shocked you? I don't know. I'd have to ask what you mean by shocked. Uh, if by shocked, do you mean that I sat there floored? Like, what did you just say? Like, you know, like, um, like Will Ferrell. And that gif of the of Anchorman, you know, what did you say? I said, I don't know if shocked is the word that I would use, but there were a few that left me at a lurch. And so there's one in specific that I always draw back to. So when I talked with Open Theism with Greg Boyd, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I can remember my mind breaking, grade picking up on that and literally saying something to the effect of, I can see your brain dripping out of your ears, but stay with me. That one was shocking in that way. And then as well, another one that I found shocking and appalling was a conversation and in the book as well of rethinking incarceration with Dominique Gilliard. That whole concept, I didn't know anything about it. And as I read the book, I just became infuriated. And so I was shocked at a level of disgust. Um, and it's called me to action and to learn to do more. And so that was, a, I, would, I would argue that that's a good shock. Another one that comes to mind and one that I think also shocked a few listeners would be John Dominic Grisson about Christmas and the Gospels as parable. Uh, I think that that is not a common thread or a common concept uh, in the Western church and in the church here in Virginia or in most uh, churches that I'm aware of. And so I think that one I personally found shocking. I found it also fascinating, but definitely shocking. Another question is, are there any that drastically changed my mind or made you open up to something new? I don't know that there are many that drastically changed my mind. But I will say every episode opens me up to something new. Yeah. And so here's probably one of my most 
terrifying question. So were there any interviews that you weren't looking forward to but ended up pleasantly surprised? And yes, there is one in particular, and I'm going to have to assume that David will never listen. But when I talked about sex trafficking with David Zock, I was terrified. And I can actually remember, um, I was not looking forward to it. I mean, the topic is big and it is worthy of discussion, but I was so afraid to do it wrong, so afraid to be frivolous, to, to do lip service and, and maybe also do harm or to cause someone trauma as they listen to someone with no personal experience talking about something so big and so personal and so active right now. So I was terrified doing that. And I actually remember asking my wife, you know, hey, think about me, pray for me, do the things. And we're going to talk to David about this today. And I can remember her saying like, you signed up for this. And she's not wrong, but I was so pleasantly surprised. I mean, that has been one of the most impactful episodes for me. It introduced me to some music that has changed the way that I listen to music. It, it's introduced me to themes that I didn't know, to context, and to other you know ministries that do that work, as well as just so many of the things that I still read about and applaud when it happens, give money to as I can, um, because I think, I mean, it's there are a few things on this world that are topics for the next generation, you know. Sex trafficking is among them, the way that we handle inclusivism with LGBTQ, um, all of that stuff. But that was a massive topic. Oh, there's another question that says, are there any questions that you wish you hadn't asked, but you did? And I will say, probably. I can't think of many off the top of my head, but I know that I've cut some out. And for those of you that support the show on Patreon, you can listen to the unedited versions for the most part. And I'm certain that there are some that I cut out. Being that I hold the master delete key, if there's something I didn't like, I literally just get rid of it. So I think for those, most of the people that are listening to this, uh, that answer would probably be no, but I can't come up with a specific, I can't come up with a specific instance in that. Who is a dream interview? That's a great question. And I think my answer changes. So when I first started the podcast, I actually made a top 10 list of people that I wanted to talk to. I've spoken with eight of those 10. The only ones I haven't spoken to are Father Richard Rohr and Rob Bell. To be clear, though, I've emailed Richard Rohr massive amount of times, and um, I just on a whim the other day, actually on Monday, uh, a friend of mine said, "Why don't you just email Rob?" I was like, "Okay." Uh, so I did it while I was talking with him. And um, but outside of that, they they furthered that question, saying, "So now that we've reached 100 episodes, what's the next goal?" And so for me, the goal of the show is I would like to bring more voices onto the show from a lens of not having Christian backgrounds or Christian. Uh, mentality. So I want to talk to you know more rabbis. I want to talk to Hindus and Muslims and Sikhs because I think that faith is a bigger umbrella than we often give it room for, and there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and some past guests have helped me realize that. You know, Barbara Brown, Taylor, uh, Alexander Shia, and a few others. Where I think there's so much more that we could be learning, and myself included. And I've just got to open that gate. I would love to at one time be able to for the show because it is becoming uh, bigger than it's hard to manage sometimes. And uh, so I would love to eventually have enough support there that I can maybe pay somebody to edit these or, or something else. But that is not there yet. We're close. I also have grandiose dreams of doing a live event in 2020. I don't know where that will be. I'm going to do that, I think, regardless. My wife will tell you, usually when I make my mind up to do something, I just do it. Although I'll, make a, I'll, ask, I'll ask everyone here a question. So if you're 
if you have an idea of where to do that, let me know. I want I have to find a consensus somewhere to be. There's going to have to be like a minimum amount there uh, to make it feasible. The goal there is not, is not to make any money, but really just to hang out, maybe do a live version of the show. But I would love to do that next year. So that's those are my two goals is maybe make a new top 10, bring other voices and viewpoints to the show, and do something live where I get to actually see uh, some of the listeners and engage intentionally with them as well as maybe do a live version of the show. <laughs> and then I have alluded to, I'm trying to write a book. I have an idea. Uh, and so they, they, they wrote, when does the book come out? I have no idea. I'm still writing. I have thoughts. I have the bare bones. I have a skeleton. Um, it's really just finding the time. And to be honest, these last few months, um, you know, school going back with the kids, and honestly, transcribing the back episodes has sucked up a lot of time. Um, I, I didn't didn't really realize how long it would take. And in hindsight, I can see how ignorant I was. But I started it now. I'm going to finish it. I'm a ninth of the way through. Another question was, what is the future of the church? I have no idea. I don't have a clue. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that. But I think the future of the church needs to look something like what the church looks like in Acts. I think it's going to have to be loosely organized I think it's going to have to stop wasting money. It's going to have to stop an addiction to building and structures. And it's going to need to actually do things with the money that love on people and help fix things. So if people are hungry, buy some food with no reciprocity or expectation of that because that's actually not grace and that's not gratitude. That's not a gift. That's quid pro quo. And that is not the gospel. That's not how this works. And that's just one example. I think that's what the local church should look like. And I think if it can't find a way to pivot to that, to break apart a bit of the institution by itself, I think that uh, the generation that's coming behind me, as well as my generation, will just break the church for the church, uh, which is very sad to say out loud. But I've asked that question enough time to enough guests to realize nobody has an answer, and neither really do I. Another question, and this is a little bit behind the window here. Uh, so the question is, how long does it take beginning to end to finish making one episode? And so I'll give two answers to that, because if it's a book interview or a topic interview that has to have text behind it, I usually won't interview the guest unless I've read the bulk of the book, if not the full book. And if I haven't read the full book, I will tell them that in the interview. And you'll hear that like with Paul Knitter, Terry Wardle that just came out. And a few others where I'll say, you know, and, and I remember Paul calling me out on it of, you know, I'm really struggling with this. And so I had to set the book aside. And then I asked him a question and he's like, well, oddly enough, if you had read the next chapter, I kind of addressed that, which I like the humility in that. And there's a reason that I left it in the show because it matters. But to answer the question, I can read fairly quickly. And so if I have to read a book, we're talking, you know, 300 pages in a week, but I usually read two to three books a week at the same time. And then it takes me probably a day to develop questions and thoughts out of that. But I don't usually write questions by script. I just write the topics and themes that I have questions about. And then I go from there. And then there's obviously the hour to hour and a half of actually having the conversation. And then whatever uh, the conversation is. So it takes about double the length of the time of the conversation to edit it down. And so if it's a one hour chat, it takes me two hours to edit it down and mix just the audio. All that time during the weeks, I am listening for music and songs, emailing artists, production companies, record management labels to try to get permission 
to use the music in the episode because I always make sure that I have express written permission because I'm trying not to be sued. And that probably takes another hour or so. In an average episode like that, probably five to six hours by the time it's all said and done. And that does not count the new time that I've added for adding a transcription. Um, I don't even know how to put that into words because it it happens over multiple days at many different times. Anytime I have some free time. So I don't actually know how long that takes. Now, for the ones that don't have a book or a text behind them, those are a little easier. And so I will usually spend a day or two digging in to what I want to talk about. And then the rest is just like a conversation. I try my best to make it like a conversation um, at, you know, at a ball game or at a bar or something like that, where it's just as genuine as possible. I tend to not script out a pile of questions, just maybe a beginning and ending one. And the rest, I try to make it just as easy as possible. So those are actually some of the easiest to do. They're one of my favorite to do as well because we're literally flying with the seat of the pants and that's fun. Um, although I don't think that I would have said that, at, said that at episode three or five or seven, but now it's fun. It's a great question. Another question is, as I reflect back on the past season of life or 100 episodes, which is really two years. I mean, in November, it's, it's two years. How has the Lord moved in my life since episode one? Um, and I will say massively. And so uh, through practices that I've learned about and been intentional with and been held accountable to in a public space, you know, of examine and just through wrestling through so many new ideas, like I, God for me has gotten so big and he can't fit into a Bible. And yeah, the, I don't really have adequate words to explain the relationship and the growth of that relationship that I have with Christ or God or the divine, give that whatever name you want. It has been an exponential growth and it's like every month something else grows. And sometimes that also is terrifying. Uh, But I also, and I alluded to it earlier, it's life giving to realize just how little I know and how many questions I have and that how big God is that there's not too many questions. And every question reveals another facet of God that I didn't quite get before. And now that I do get it, like it literally, I think, is helping me become a more patient and a more loving and a more kind person. But I'm probably biased in that answer. I don't know if I'm doing that better. You probably have to ask my family. A great question, though. Another question is, do I feel like or ever worry that we've, we've moved out of one brand of certainty and that we will just end up being another type of certainty that we start defending? Uh, absolutely. Uh, myself included. Um, I find I'm catching myself all the time of, of doing just that. So yes, absolutely. I think the church and humanity as a whole has a tendency to the next new thing that we learn. That is the accurate thing. And everyone that doesn't agree with me is ridiculously dumb. Um, I try my best to keep that at, at bay, but I don't think that that's not ever going to be the case. It's just recognizing that we are. This next question is very big, and I've actually given it a lot of thought over, I I don't know, probably about a week, and I still don't know that I have a good answer, but I'm going to try my best. And so stick with me. It's a long question, but I think it is a valid one. It's an important one, and it goes to show how much church history so many people don't understand. It says, in Africa, countries like Togo, Vodun is still practiced, often alongside Christianity. And so what do we say to those people? when we bring the gospel to, quote, show them the truth, when colonizers came and forced them to renounce their spirituality and replace their African names with English ones and worship a God who looked nothing like them, stripping them of their resources and any self-pride, 
How do I talk to them about Jesus? How are modern-day missionaries any different from the colonizers with respect to stripping people of their identity? Fantastic question. Huge question. And what I was reminded of is when I was talking with James Danaher, where he had talked about someone was trying to translate a Bible into a different language, and it just ended up breaking, like talking about like pig's blood and that type of stuff. And I can't remember if that's exactly right, but that's close. And I think so often we miss the point. Because we've drilled down the Bible into being so fit inside this box, if your faith doesn't fit into that, then we don't have any place for that. And I think in America, you know we've done that with the indigenous here, the Native Americans of every tribe. Uh, Mark Charles speaks very well to that. And so I don't know how to fix that outside of owning it, telling them what we did, profusely apologizing and actually meaning it, and then trying to help create a culture that is inclusive of being able to hold multiple things at once. I mean, that's that's just the way it's going to need to be. But I don't know how to talk to them about Jesus, and I don't know that that's what we need to do. I'm not a missionary, so I don't know that I'm qualified to answer this, but what I would do, what I think I would do, is I would just go and try to be there and be like Jesus, to go and do something, to love them, to find things that need to be mended, to hold people that are crying, feed the hungry and the sick. But I don't know that to talk to people about Jesus, we need to actually say anything. I think we need to be something. We need to do something. But I don't know that we always need to say something. <laughs> um, somebody asked, why aren't there V-necks in the store? Uh, there are V-necks in the store. I don't know that anybody has ever bought one. So if you have an idea for a better one, let me know. But there definitely are uh, V-necks in the store. Uh, and then they also asked, you know, what brought me to the point of starting the podcast? I have told that story before. And so what I will do is I will actually probably plug a different podcast. And so the podcast is called The Reckless Pursuit. It's also on Carl Forehand's podcast and a handful of others. I've told that story many times and I think to do it again here would take a lot of time. And so what I might do is find those episodes. I'll link to them in the show notes of this. And if you want to hear more about that story, I would definitely go give those a listen. I think that's a great place to start. Another question was, are there any interviews that you wish that you could do over? And I would say all of them and none of them. I think that doing a podcast in the way that I've done it, at least for me, it's kind of been like a Lego brick set where every podcast builds upon the next, not necessarily thematically, but I feel like I get a little bit better each week. Um, I learn how to read a little bit better to read and, and see things that maybe are subtext and then ask questions about that. And so I, I would love to probably go back and do them all over again. But I think if I did, the questions would be entirely different. And so the episode would turn out entirely different with a different theme and a different point of the show. Not that that's not worth revisiting, actually. I kind of like that idea. That would be a lot of extra work. But I, I love that idea. But I don't know that there are any that I wish I could do over. Yeah, I don't know that I would, even if I could. Outside of audio quality, I'm very proud of everything that I've ever put out. Very, very proud. So I don't know that I would ever do any of them over. I'm going to mix two of these questions together because I think that they blend. So one of which is, you know, as I reflect from the inception of the podcast to now, how has my measurement of success changed? And then how have my standards changed? And I think those two are loosely related, and so that's why I want to blend them together. Uh, but my standards have changed in so much as just I need it to sound better. And I'm constantly finding ways to tweak and edit and mix and reduce background noise and that type of stuff. And as I go back and listen to the prior ones, I'm not happy with those. I actually gave a lot of thought on fixing just the audio. 
and little clips and where I can hear myself breathing. And there was a part that my wife called me out on where I went like this in between, like as I was thinking, I would say, but, uh, and it would just like, my voice would just uh, drag. And I, you know, I found better ways to speak. And so the standards that I set for myself are bigger on that, which is the way that it sounds. And I hope to continually get better at that. But as I reflect on the inception of the podcast, how has my measurement of success changed? At the beginning, I would look at like every day of the download stats, you know, the countries that it was being listened to, all of that stuff. And I really don't anymore. I look at the download stats at the first of the month when I upload the full next month because I try to upload four at a time because I got three kids and a bunch of other things going on and I just don't have I just don't have the extra time to do that every single week or work on it every night. I just don't. And so I no longer do that. Like the success for me is no longer about the download numbers, although uh, they continue to tick up and that is a blessing. It's not really how I measure success anymore. Success for me has become, am I personally growing? And are the conversations that I'm having outside of the episodes, are they worthwhile? Are they helpful? And I will say they are. I mean, I've developed some deep relationships with many listeners of the show, many guests of the show, and I've met some beautiful people beautiful, absolutely beautiful people because of the show. My life is better for it. And so for me, that is a much bigger success than any numeric downloads number. Although I am fully aware every time I check, like the show continues to clip off. It was at one point, I think growing at 30% month over month. And now it's like 18% month over month, but I'm, I'm blown away. Yeah. My ultimate goal would be for it to get as big as humanly possible. I would love to one day, maybe one day maybe just do this for a living talk about god host conversations about faith i don't even know how much that would cost though i just i don't even my mind doesn't work that way it's not the way you know i was raised or how my bank account is set up or the bills are paid i don't even know what that looks like but eh, that's a good goal yeah so here's a question about are there any podcasts that i've discovered in my journey that have helped shape who i am as I become hopefully a better host. And I would say yes, but they're not theological podcasts. And so I find that I'm often listening to podcasts. Um, I don't listen to hardly any religious podcasts because I'm afraid that I'm going to steal topics or questions or quotations or someone else's lens or viewpoint just because of the type of personality that I am that I just suck up information so quickly. And I want to make sure when I say something, it's me saying it and not regurgitation, although I'm certain that everything that's coming out of my mouth for the most part is someone else's idea that I've heard somewhere else that I've become to make my own. Uh, but I'm not at least consciously aware that I'm doing it. But I've, I've begun listening to shows that tell stories well. Uh, you know, shows that are scripted, that are acted out well. One of my favorite shows that has helped me become a better interviewer is actually a show called Everything is Alive. And it's a weird concept, but the show's premise is it's a guy and he interviews inanimate objects. But those inanimate objects, I think, are assigned their role ahead of time. And so they have a real person give thought to what would it be like to, you know, be the printer that prints out the book all day. And so the guy interviews this inanimate object and the questions are really good. And the way that he frames a conversation is good. And so that's mostly what I'm doing. I'm listening to people that write really well-written shows, trying to find better ways to do cadence and intentionality to allow space for pregnant pauses, which I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with. 
have I learned a better rhythm to keep control over time and topics? No, (laughs) I really haven't. I am blessed because I'm usually a night owl. I don't usually sleep more than five to six hours of sleep a night, even if like I'm on vacation. For the most part, I, I, I just, I don't get a lot of sleep and I never have. And so that has made it fairly easy for me to fit the show into my life because I can do everything after the fact. I, I haven't learned a better rhythm at all. I have not learned a better rhythm. Here's a very, a very good question. So have I ever crashed and burned during an interview? What happened? Yes, I've crashed and burned many times, many, many times. I can, I can think of, uh, you know, technologically I've crashed and burned. I can think of just questions I've crashed and burned. You know, one of those would probably be John Walton. Um, I remember doing that interview thinking, God, man, you really suck at this, Seth. Like, I don't even know who you're fooling. Like, you were so far behind the eight ball. And I remember editing it. I let that sit for like five months, and then I edited it. And I thought to myself, this actually wasn't bad, but I really thought that I crashed and burned there. There have been many episodes where the audio has dropped. I'm missing entire 10-minute segments, and we've had to go back the guest and I both, and, and so many people are so uh, generous with their time. So there was a time, you know, when I talked to N.T. Wright, that was really hard because we kept dropping the call. We were in his office and the internet kept breaking on my end or his end. I don't even know, but it was so frustrating. And there's been quite a few lately. Another one that, I, that I'm reminded of that I thought crashed and burned was with Austin Channing Brown because her newborn was in that interview and I tried my best to edit it out. And I think I got most of it, but I really thought, man, this is so distracting. And because of it, I was really worried that um, that I was all over the place. It took a little bit of editing magic, but I think I fixed it. Yeah, but so many times I crashed and burned. Luckily, most people are willing to restate what they said and and come back together there. All right, here we go. Last few questions. So one was, you know, and this is this question comes from a person that has known me since man I was in high school. And so the question was, you know, now that I'm a father and I'm older and I see the world differently than I did 20 years ago, at this point in my life is there anything that I'm like, man, my dad was right. Uh and and I thought about that and I think I can honestly say yes. I can remember often growing up my dad would say you know, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And I can remember at the time, really, what I thought that that meant was believe what I believe and know why I believe it because I'm smarter and I'm older than you. And you just need you just need to trust me that I'm right. And I think a lot of people think that about faith and religion as well. But there's a lot of truth there. And so as I've gotten older and I've learned more, I genuinely can... almost always tell people, you can 100% tell people, here's what I believe about God and here's why. And there's very few topics that I don't have an answer for. And so I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. That's a, a moniker that I got from my dad. And on the inverse of that as well, if you ask me something I don't know about, I have learned enough to just say, I have no clue. Let's talk about it. Point me in some resources. It's become really a blessing Uh, to view the world that way. Here we go. Last question. Here we go. What am I currently reading, listening to, etc. to grow and develop for the next 100 episodes? And so as I talked about earlier, you know, I'm just going to pull down the computer here and look at some of the books that I'm reading. So I have a book on Buddhism. 
I have five books on religion and science and the interplay between those because I find that fascinating. Like, really like it. Been reading a lot about that. I have four books on, no, three, how many books? I have a few books on Islam. So I have one called My Islam by Amir Ahmad Nasser. I have The First Muslim by Leslie Hazelton. And a few other books like that. I've got a couple novels that I'm digging into that look at the world from a, a, a worldview lens that isn't Christian. Uh, and I am really, really liking it. And so I'm, I'm reading books about science and I'm reading books about Islam intentionally because that's where I really want to pivot to. And I've reached out to a few imams uh, around the area and I'm really looking forward to doing that. And so that's what I'm doing to develop for the next hundreds. I'm trying to... And I've said this prior a little bit, you know, I'm trying to, to learn more about other faiths. Uh, I, there's so much there. There we go. I am so thankful for every single one of you. I am not going to say rate and review and all that stuff because you know better. So it's the end of the show. It's the wrapping of 100 episodes. That's like a century of episodes. And I'm sure that I'm mixing metaphors there and I don't care. I am so very thankful for every single one of you that has shared, download, told your friends, uh, gave me feedback, good or bad, emailed in one way or another. I don't really care. I am so very thankful for every single one of you. Thank you so much for everybody that sent in questions. Some of these were really hard to answer and took a lot of thought. Uh, some, some of them made me laugh, and this was not a reflection of all the questions, but I think a good sampling. And so thank you all for listening. I can't wait to talk to you next week. I say this every week, and I mean it. And you were whole and beloved. You're not broken. You are beautiful and blessed. I'm thankful that you're here. I cannot wait for the next episode, 101. Let's do another 100. Why not? <laughs>